Welcome back to the Art and Science of Sound Healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording from my cozy mountain cabin studio in Sewanee, Tennessee, surrounded by thick, lush forests and beautiful waterfalls. Today we have a really exciting guest. It's Roy Wilfred Wooten, a.k.a. Future Man, He's an inventor, musician, composer. He uh, is well known for being one of the most creative and inspiring people around. I have been very blessed to know him for uh, at least a decade or two. And uh, he's been a, an inspiration and a teacher to me and to lots of others. He's got, I think, multiple Grammy awards, but... Um, he's uh, just a generally interesting and inspiring character and certainly a virtuoso musician and welcome future man hey good to good to be here good to be here man very excited so to get us kicked off could you please tell us a little bit about your path as a musician just about yourself and your path in life as as music and sound has played a role in the development of your philosophies and the course of your life because i know your life is very music centric yeah music centric is good man because i grew up in a, a musical family you know where all my brothers play music um we started sort of in in two batches the first was uh my brother reggie who they call the teacher plays guitar and then there's my brother uh me then there's me who comes after reggie and uh i play drums and for some time for some reason i was always gravitated to rhythm and beating on boxes and stuff and then there's Rudy who plays saxophone, and we were like all within one year apart. And Rudy just liked to blow everything. So there was something about rhythm and music and sound that really called us. And then three years after Rudy, Joseph was born, Reggie started teaching him how to play the keyboard. Three years after Joseph Victor was born, and by that time, with Reggie playing all guitar stuff and strings, I'm beating on stuff, boxes. Rudy's blowing everything, and Reggie's teaching Joe the keyboard. All we needed was a bass player. <laughs> so by the time Victor born, three years later, we were like, it's almost like he didn't really have a choice. He said, look, man, you got to play bass, so we're teaching you bass, and we just hope that it was going to be a good fit. You know, if it's not <laughs> going to be a good fit, so I'm going to turn away from it. But music-centric, as you said, was something key in our whole world. And uh, we grew up, you know, playing on the playground and stuff like that, playing sports and stuff. And after a certain point, we had to make a, um, I remember our mother, our parents made us make a choice. We had to make a choice because we'd have to gig and we'd be missing games. And, you know, when you're missing games, uh, sports is so emotional and it's such a, it's such a, uh, you know, disturbance if you have to miss something that she said, you're going to have to make a choice. And so we knew that music was first. And so uh, music has been a very central force. Star Wars would say a very central force playing throughout our lives uh, up until present day. 
you know, I'm um, just taking a, a, quite a journey, uh, a journey of music. And through music's eyes, in a sense, seeing the world, trying to see the world more the way that music sees it, you know, and align myself with that. You know, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. I, as you know, study a lot of physics and it's, it's actually pretty traditional with a lot of uh, physicists. In fact, a lot of the, the greatest, most admirable, world-changing physicists essentially saw physics as a way of looking at the, the composition that, that God writes, the music of the universe. Yes, yes. Yes, yeah, and that's a very good way of putting it. Like for some people who may not be religious, you can just put it like how how nature uses it, you know, because when we talk about the way nature works, I mean, there's a great uh, usage of, of vibration and physics and stuff all the way to the point of acoustic levitation to uh, the structure of the geometry under insect wings. You know, when you look at dragonfly wings, you look at bug wings, you look at uh, all flying creatures, and you see this amazing geometry structure that's part of the wing. And it's not just all for beauty and something. There's a design principle going on that when we go deep enough into it, we're getting into like acoustic and vibrational levitation principles going on. You know, we think that they're just flying with their wings. But there's a flying principle or a levitation principle going on. And that levitation principle, if we go deep enough into it, is dimensional principles that connect with what CERN is working on, where we're not just looking at this dimension that we're in, but they're also existing, you know, in and out of dimensions that we can and can't see with our physical eyes. So this this story of frequency takes us down a rabbit hole <laughs> real fast. You know, and uh, you know, getting back more on a, on a on a natural level, just like when we listen to music, you know, it can take your mind in and out of you know the dimensional attitudes that you're in. Like for example, getting back to the principle of music and healing, there's a documentary called uh, Healing with Sound or something like that. What is it called? Uh, basically, they're showing people in nursing homes. And they're showing that when you take someone in a nursing home who's, who's basically just tuned out, they're not even with the world anymore. They're bored. They're just doing everything every day, and they're not talking to anybody. They don't even respond. If you put headphones on and play their music, all of a sudden, man, they become animated. <laughs> I'm trying to think the name of it. It's a popular. You can see it on YouTube. It's a popular documentary. I had a really interesting experience in that regard. My grandmother. Uh, my dear grandmother, before she passed away, she was in a, uh, I can't remember what the new name for it, some sort of a, what used to be called an old folks home. Um, yeah, like uh, a nursing home. Yeah. And I showed up there and I play the didgeridoo and I can't remember how I ended up bringing it in to play it. And I'm, I'm accustomed to a lot of people really kind of getting scared or uncomfortable with the sound of it. It's, it has this primal effect and it makes, it makes you yeah. 
makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And so I was reluctant to play it. And I think my grandmother was asking me to play it. And I started to play it in the courtyard. And much to my surprise, all these people that seemed like they were just out of it, they weren't really present, their minds, they're just kind of zombies. They all of a sudden, their eyes lit up and they all just started congregating around and then they just sat there with this look of bliss and joy and did not want me to stop. Like it was their favorite thing that had happened in a long time and they just wanted me to play didgeridoo all day in the courtyard. And it was a really exciting and uh, eye-opening experience for me. So what you're saying is true. Yeah, it's like the uh, shaman effect. And uh, the, I think the name of that documentary that I was talking about for people that want to look it up is uh, if you Google Alive Inside. And it means that, you know, a person that looks like they're a zombie on the outside is actually alive in there if you can reach them. And music is that if you can tune that person into their music, the music that they like or that was a part of their life, man, it'll go in there and reach them and just vivify who they are. And they'll come totally alive. And if you just go on YouTube and just look at the, the just the trailer documentaries on it, it's very emotional. So music is one of those conduits. And if, if we look at the music, kind of all the legends about music, well, you talk about the didgeridoo, and you look at what the aborigines, you know, uh, the people that they call the aborigines, the original people of Australia that play the didgeridoo, they talk about when they walk, they walk through a song line. And there's some of it that gets really like metaphysical because uh, some of it implies as if they're using a song line to get from point A to B quicker than you could actually walk. You know, some of the legends sound like they're able to travel distances, not in just a linear, straight linear form that we think, but more like subatomic particles, like they're able to actually go boop and boop, and show up this place and that place. <laughs> and uh, that's what the legend seems, some of their legend seems to imply, you know, that these songs allow them to travel more than just by foot, you know. So anyway, I like myths and legends for that reason, because they get the imagination going. And even uh, even if for some reason they weren't able to do it, nature does it on a subatomic level all the time. and. Uh, I'm I'm convinced the more I study like these little gnats and bugs and all this super geometry going on, I'm convinced that some insects and stuff can actually do it. You know, like they just kind of show up in our in our <laughs> ivy, like, but they didn't get there. They just kind of showed up, you know. And this is a joke that I always play with myself. Like if I if, if you cut open a fruit or or a watermelon or something, yeah. and all of a sudden they come the fruit flies. Did they come? <laughs> or did they just show up, man? Some people say they were born out of the fruit, but I'm like, you don't get born and just flying right away. You cut up a, like I'm just, some of some of the fruit that we have is like not really alive, you know. So they don't they don't even track bugs. But if you get like a ripe piece of watermelon or a ripe something, all of a sudden, boom, you just have this family of fruit flies. And so I always joke, man. I was like, man, where did these guys come from? You know. If they just show up, like, boom, the frequency was right. So it was a dimensional appearance, you know. And uh, I'm joking about it, but uh, for people who kind of want to go down the rabbit hole on this 
story. If you study uh, um, this scientist, Grabenikov, G-R-E-B-E-N-E-K-O-V, a Russian scientist named Grabenikov, the story sounds like a legend or sounds like a myth where he's actually studying the, the wings of bugs. And uh, he was studying a beetle, you know, and he found that there was a geometrical array happening that was when you put the two wings together, like after they die, when you put them together, they'll either repel each other or attract each other like a magnet, you know, and some kind of way this force in their wings was creating a levitational effect. Now, just pretend I'm telling you a, a myth now. I'm, I'm telling you a superhero story. So, you know, where you have this master villain that goes and makes this super weapon. Well, this dude, it says, according to the story, he created a platform using a bunch of these bug wings. He made a curtain out of them and arrayed them all in the same direction so that he could direct the force of the wings. Basically, he made a, a bug curtain and put it into a platform. And the platform reminded me of the superhero villain, the Green Goblin and Spider-Man. When you step on this platform, he could direct this platform and just fly all over the place. And he said, this is what this uh, scientist, Grabinovkov, created a platform like this where he was able to fly. Now, the story says he was able to fly <laughs> 900 miles an hour. He went 900 miles an hour, but when he was uh, going this fast, no wind was hitting him. There was no cockpit or bubble blocking him, but it wasn't messing up his hair or blowing his suit. He was just moving. And he said from the outside looking at him, he was partially cloaked, like you couldn't see him, right? So he said, this is a story. Just pretend I'm telling you a fairy tale, right? He flew for two hours. No, he flew for an hour. <laughs> but when he got back home, the clock on his arm was, two, was one hour that he flew, but his clock at his home was two hours had gone by. So now we're talking like, okay, Light we're just speed. talking about insects, man. But we just went to quantum physics already. You know what I mean? We just, whoa. We're just talking about insects, but the story went crazy. Getting back to the subject matter of where we are in the show, where the, the thing that unifies, I think, all of the guests, from astrophysicists to sound healers, didgeridoo, to CERN laboratories, everything we're talking about frequency. You know what I mean? And the, the, the power of frequency. And when we talk about sound, sound is another offshoot of frequency. Because when we have frequency, we don't always have sound if we don't have the right conditions. But when we have the conditions like we see, you know what I mean, like my vocal cords, you know, you can hear my voice or that great experiment that you just really did on the Internet where you took sound and you put it inside the cavity of these different, you know, uh, solids, you know what I mean, these different structures. I believe that is a way that nature is riding with sound as well. I think that you just showed it on a bigger level where we could look at it. But I think nature actually does use these cavities to, do, to produce frequency effects. And frequency effects can be the structure of matter. What we feel is solid, some people say it's just frequency effects. You know what I mean? Different frequencies affects the way they combine to create the feelings that we feel in the physical world. So what I was saying earlier before we started, like uh, with this unifying uh, field theory of frequency, we had all the phenomenons of sound and the effects of nature, maybe interdimensional, the ability to go from this dimension to that dimension, 
which I think that bugs actually can do, it, it, it implies, I actually started thinking that when I started reading about Gravenikov. I was like, wait a minute. You know, he's not just talking about levitation. He said a, a company with that levitation is some kind of gravitational uh, uh, and dimensional effect going on. So anyway, the unified field theory uh, that I, I feel like with sound or frequency, which turns into sound with the right conditions, is that this sound is a double-edged sword. And so like sound that's used for healing Anything that's used for healing can also be used for non-healing because what we're talking about is power. Yeah, Sound power. is actually power. So just like when we talk about power, the power for a doctor to use a scalpel to, extra, to precision extract a cataract or a cancer or to precision cut you without the intent to kill you means that without that precision and without that ideal behind it, it can be used as a crude weapon, you know, like a knife or a sword or all the weapons of history that have used it that way. Okay? So the power of sound is no different. You know, it has that power to heal, but it also has the power to be used destructively. So I like looking at it on that mythological level like that because it's like we color outside the lines of our beliefs. You know what I mean? Then when we get back inside the lines of our beliefs, Maybe we can see what we see a little bit clearer. So I went way outside the lines of our belief with Gravenikov, man. How's a guy going to fly with bug wings? What is that about? That's so crazy, right? Can we grasp what it is that we're looking at right here? You know? And so that's sometimes the fun of looking at uh, something on a mythological level because maybe to really approach what sound and music and vibration is really comes from something where we have to actually think on a mythological level. For example, in the beginning of everyone's creation story was a frequency of some kind. It was a sound. You know, and some people say in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the own, like your middle, what is your middle name, own, or? Or, <laughs> Man, that's, that's a deep word, man, because anything that has or, man, is like order, organism, orgo, organized. You know, it was like or is a very powerful, I don't know where you got that name from. It gives from, you but an option. Wow. <laughs> huh? you, it provides an option. It's Thomas Orr yeah, Anderson. Man. Yeah, you just think of it, just a game. Think of any word that start that has or in it. Anywhere, organization, order, uh, Orpheus, Morpheus, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, orgone, organize, organism, uh, you know, yeah. office. You know, or is a very powerful two combination word, you know. But anyway, jumping back to mythology in the beginning of every order is a frequency, right? In the beginning was the word, right? And to get religious for a second, in the Bible, it says this, uh, this beginning frequency was so powerful, they call it the word. And they said the word was with the creator or with God. The word was with the creator and the word was the creator, right? The word was with God and the word was God. So this is how powerful this frequency was, right? Now, if we take it now and look at this frequency, what the frequency actually does, we have to look at a field called cymatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. 
M-A-T-I-C-S. And what happens in cymatics is you produce a frequency on a vibrating plate or something like if you have flower pollen on a vibrating metal or something like that. And you hit a frequency and it'll make that flower pollen or that dust or salt or sand, it'll make it turn into a, a pattern. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you've you seen this, right? Yeah, I have a, a cymatics demonstration device. They originally were called Cladney plates because there yes. was a, a physicist named Cladney who a very, very long time ago studied the, they're called Cladney patterns. And then yes. each pattern will be, will associate with one of the modes or one of the resonant frequencies of the plate. So each plate, yeah. the plate will have a whole infinite series of, of those patterns and each one gets more uh, complex and elaborate as you go to its higher fre resonant frequencies. Right, right. So this is beautiful. And, and just if, if the audience can listen to what you just said, and then let's go outside the lines for a minute and think on a mythological level. You talked about a series of patterns, right? Now I'm going to jump back to the, the, uh, the religious or the mythological subject where it says, in the beginning was the word, right? A word is made out of letters, made out of alphabet, right? And so when I look at this series of, of patterns, what I see is a series of symbols, right? An alphabet is made up of a series of symbols. So I actually believe, or maybe I don't, I actually, I, I believe is one word, but I don't know, right? I actually imagine, what if, okay? What if that series of symbols that Cymatis is showing us is actually a universally structured alphabet based on the fundamental principle of frequencies and that those are the words that, were, that, the, that the, the scriptures are talking about in the beginning was the word. These are the words are made up of these symbols. We don't know how to read them yet, but uh, what I'm saying is this. I believe that this is an alphabet of some kind and that we're going to have to be like Champollion deciphering the Rosetta Stone to understand what these, how these series of frequencies work, right? Because I believe that these series of frequencies are a series of ordering principles like language. When you put them together, you get words. So, again, going in and outside the lines of belief, right? In the beginning was the word. Here's what's so powerful about that as a concept because when we talk about space in space maybe the only thing that's going to create inherent order just like when you see a cymatics you just hit a frequency and it just induces an inherent order everything just organizes itself into a structured shape you if you imagine in space where you need to have stuff that's going to float all over the place to, to adhere to some type of ordering principle, what you're going to need is a frequency to induce that order. See what I'm saying? Otherwise, everything is going to be free radical going its own way. Or a series of frequencies or a, yeah. a chord. Like a rainbow. Right. Like a chord. Exactly. A chord. That's what a word means. It's like a chord. You know what I mean? Like the alphabet are letters, but the word is a chord. Word and chord is almost like the same concept, you know? Mm -hmm. Because a word is made up of a series of letters, just like a chord is made up of a series of tones. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed my middle names in both of those words too, word and cord. I know, cord. There you go again. Again, <laughs> you, you, like, you're in your life calling right now. You know, so anyway, I'm just saying, again, earlier I said looking through the eye, looking through reality through the eyes of music, you know, I, I, this is very interesting because when we talk about, uh, there's a guy that you might want to interview for this show. His name is Jay. I believe his last name is White. I'm not sure, but he's the bass player for Weird Al. <laughs> so you, you can't forget that. He's the bass player for Weird Al, but if you kind of Google him, you'll find his site, and he talks about going out to Mali to study with the Dogon priests. Oh, people who don't know yeah. the Dogon priests, these are the priests who knew all about uh, Sirius A and Sirius B. Sirius B before we even knew there was another Sirius back there, and they told about the weight and everything. And then years later, these French astronomers, you know, we got uh, telescopes and stuff where we actually proved what they were saying was right. And it's like, how are these priests in the middle of the, you know, Mali desert, whatever, know all of this accurate information about space, right? So these, these are the Doga. And um, I heard that Benjamin Vanneker, he was a black guy that was also uh, one of the designers of what, the layout of Washington, D.C., which is all laid out astrological like Egypt but that he was a, a Dogon, that his ancestors went back to Dogon. So, Didn't he build you a know, just pocket going, watch or something? Yeah, that ran. I think he made it out of wood or something. Yeah, like pocket watch out of wood yeah. that worked. And it ran for like, I don't know, 50 or 60 years or something. You know? I mean, I, I, it's, good to, it's good to bring these stories up because it, it seems like a myth. And, you know, in so many years, it'll be a myth if people don't actually remember the history. They'll say, oh, that was just a myth, you know, a myth that symbolizes something. But no, this guy, you look up the history, and this guy was was really something, you know. So uh, so what I was saying, though, about the Dogon is Jay White, this bass player, studied with the Dogon. And he said the Dogon taught him that music itself was a force, like the force in Star Wars, but it was also an entity like the principle of God in all the religions. So they said that what everyone's talking about is music. That music is a frequency principle that we know of as music. But this principle was alive and that this principle knows you the way you know your instrument. So it said, if, I, if you're a guitar player and you play a guitar like B.B. King, you know, he says the inanimate object is actually animated and can feel the music and knows the music is happening. Just like we know the wind is blowing, but we don't know where the wind comes from. You know what I mean? I, we're here and we know the wind. We kind of know the wind, but we don't know where the wind comes from or why it moves here and there. It says when you play your guitar, your instrument, the instrument is aware, but it doesn't know you the way you know it. Right? So if a guy plays a clarinet, you might name the clarinet, uh, you know, what's a good name for a clarinet? Claire. Uh, Claire. Yeah, hey, Claire, we're going to play today, right? You know Claire better than Claire knows you. Or like B.B. King knows Lucille. He named his guitar Lucille. Better than Lucille knows B.B. King. He's, and the Dogon told him that that's the ratio, how we don't know God or music the way music knows us. 
And if we can just internalize what they're saying right there, you know what I mean? Like we play music, but music knows us better than we know it. The same way you know your instrument better than it knows you. Wow. Now that was a concept. So you need to have that guy on the show, man. Yeah, I'd like Jay, to. I think his last name is Quiet. And, uh, and it was really something, man. It was really something, man, because he, he, I remember I met him when they came uh, to play uh, uh, downtown on Fifth. What's the church called? Uh, Grand Ole Opry. Right down the town on Fifth. Uh, the Ryman. They played the Ryman. And uh, I remember we were talking, and he texted me late. He said he wanted to remind me that the Dogon uh, emphasized to musicians to play with feeling and don't just play half-heartedly. Because mm. they said that that can be dangerous. They said it could be deadly almost, you know? They emphasize that all the time with musicians. Don't play half-hearted because music doesn't groove with that or something like that. And it's interesting when he said that, what I noticed that a lot of times were like rock and roll musicians or hip-hop or, or something where people kind of look down on the music like it's not that quote-unquote good. A lot of times what they do have is they have that enthusiasm. Mm. You know, they're playing with that energy that music likes, you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, there's something to that, you know? You don't have to know a million things. You just need to know enough to be able to get your juices flowing on it, you know, and you just build from there. Or like a lot of times it may be quote-unquote primitive tribes, and they're playing so much until they just go into a trance. You know what I mean? They hit them drums and they get them drums and them chants going and all of a sudden they're just going into another world. There's that enthusiasm where music can take over, you know, and take you to see what it's trying to see. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so this is the journey. Uh, this is the journey and going back from the beginning back to what we see today. Sometimes I like thinking in mythological terms because it helps us to bring us back to our reality, maybe with a different mindset. So when we talk about something like cymatics, nobody can explain to you why when I hit this tone, it makes that design, right? And I'm like, Richard Feynman, I want to know why when we hit that tone, it makes that design. There's probably some kind of logic or some kind of principle to it. And when we change the tones, they make different designs. And are those different designs some type of sequence that's showing us a, 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 a order that we should order? There we go again. An order that we should pay attention to or learn from. Just like we learn from an alphabet that goes through a sequence, sequence uh, series of patterns and things. So here we are talking about sound, and already we're going down a rabbit hole or a journey, you know, a journey of frequency effects that affect everything from uh, the light that we thought was just white light and we pass it through a prism and we see seven distinct colors, which is like modes, uh, modes in music. All of a sudden, we thought it was just this scale, but then we moved it up, whoa, and we got a Dorian scale. You know what I mean? If you play all the white notes on the uh, keyboard, right, one right after next to each other, right next to each other, and you start on the note C, It'll give you the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do sound that we're all familiar with. But if you just step up one step from C and start on D and do the same thing, it'll give you more minor sound. Blah, 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 blah. It'll give you this, what they call a Dorian sound. Do the same thing. Start up another step on E. 
and do the same thing, and it'll give you a different sound or a different color, a Phrygian sound. And there's seven distinct modes, just like the colors and lights, modes or the different moods, you know, the different moods. Well, you thought there was only one thing. There's actually these different distinct moods or frequency effects going on. So again, with sound, it produces frequency effects that show us the world that we know and the world that we don't understand, too. You know, and I think that is the subject that we're talking about. So, of course, if we utilize this power with precision, like the precision of a doctor with a scalpel, Man, that scalpel can cut you, can cut your heart open, can cut you till you can't stop bleeding, right? But with precision, it is a healing tool, a healing potential. And that healing potential is probably the full intent of why it exists. But people have to get over their, um, you know, uh, 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 I guess, quote unquote, lower tendencies not to utilize this power in a barbaric way so that we can realize what these potentials are, you know? So with sound healing, I always like to stress that for it to be healing, it's powerful. And that power can can be used in a multitude of ways. And so with me personally getting back to me and with drums, I feel like it's natural because in tuning drums, you don't always think, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. A lot of times when you get a set of drums, you're just trying to tune them to sound good next to each other. Boom, 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 boom. And that might not be do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, anything. You just got frequencies going next to each other, and they just work together. And so by the time we start getting into microtones and stuff, for me, coming from the percussion world, I feel like that I'm natural at it. And so when we get into things like, tuning you know when we play music in today's world everyone agrees to tune everything to certain tunings but no one has a unified reason why you know mm. like right now in today's day if you're going to play music you're just going to automatically nobody's going to ask you a question you when you buy that synthesizer it's just going to agree everyone's agreeing and we're going to tune this the a is going uh c is going you know at 440 a is going to be at 440, and that's just the way it is. You know, don't, you don't question it, boom, that's just it, right? But if we're like Richard Feynman and we want to, like, ask, why do you tune there? Whoa, we start going to the past, and we see other people that tune to different places. Like Mozart, in their time, box time, they were like A432. And when we go back to Pythagoras, he talks about his A being tuned a little bit lower than A440. And so now we can go into mythological. Let's look at this frequency story. How did it, why does it go from A432 to A440 or all the different things? And why is it not a unified target? Something as, as, as important as sound, there's no unified starting point. To me, that's mythological right there. That's like, whoa, we're in the middle of a myth. We're in the middle of a legend right now where the legend doesn't know where to start. Where does the legend start? Do we start at A440? Well, Europe starts at A442 or A444. Who's right? Or is there a right? You know? And usually if you follow science, you can decipher what the right is. Whoa. When we do this, we see a whole series that makes sense. Related to that, it's pretty interesting that our... We tune our electrical system to 60 
hertz. So all the, we're yeah. surrounded by all these wires pulsing at 60 hertz. And then in Europe, yeah. their wires are pulsing at 50 hertz. So it's kind yeah. of interesting yeah. that we surround ourselves. We're just tuning ourselves electrically to a certain frequency just because it's mm -hmm. uh, convenient, but not necessarily with any attention paid to what type of effect that might have on us. Yeah, and man, Thomas, this is so powerful, man. Like right now, I'm trying to find. There is a uh, a TED talk where a guy is just like we're doing cymatics, right? He's using frequencies and he's just dissolving cancer. He's showing it on a microscopic level. We know when we hit this thing with this frequency, boom, the the the, the cancer cell just dissipates. This is so powerful. I'm trying to find it again right now. It's on there. I just can't remember the title. But if you find us, you need to interview this guy right here. Because he's on to something when you go back to uh, Rife, Rife Technology, R-I-F-E. Rife was on to this. But a lot of times, man, when you get into, like, curing something so simple, we start seeing that there's a whole business built around a disease, man. It's like a, a disease can become a money-making thing, you know? And so if you come and you just go to get rid of the disease just like that, you're like erasing all of these billions of dollars of research on drugs and chemicals and this approach and that approach. And it's like you are looked at with like some funny-looking eyes, you know what I mean? So that's what happened to Rice. He comes with this device and he's using frequencies. I'm just saying for the purpose of this show, we just want to check out this story of how frequency, just like you said, we're surrounded by frequency, but how you can surround yourself with the right frequency, and that frequency will not agree with the lower type frequencies that certain diseases are existing on. This is a very powerful thing. It's like you're tuning frequencies, like turning radio station to a different station, and you can dial these different frequencies through yourself, and it's like taking a frequency shower, you know? Like how water, you just get water and wash all the, all the dirt. Well, think about doing that for the inside of the body. Frequencies is what, what we're going to arrive at, you know. So I, I, it's a challenge, man. I, 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 I urge you to find this guy that did the TED Talk where he's using frequencies and he's showing. When, and he knows the frequency. When we use this frequency, it gets rid of leukemia. This frequency dissolves the cancer cells. And it was just so powerful you know what i mean but again you know in the mythology of today's world that mythology goes against great entities that thrive off trying to find a solution or great entities that get billions of dollars of research to find the problem if somebody just finds the problem through music with everything you're gonna you know music is like we go back to mythology music is like the force of star wars that's what Jay White says with the Dogon. I said, you mean like they're describing music like the force? May the force be with you? He said, yeah, music was is the force. You know, by whatever name you call it, you know, we can call it music. It's not the first name, you know, but frequency is more closer to the first name. You know, and religion, they call it the word or the ohm or this and that. But, you know, the phenomenon of frequency, which is, again, for me in music, it's the phenomenon of rhythm which is invisible. Can we, can I ask you about rhythm? You, yeah. um, in the world of sound healing, people uh, tend to not be very focused 
on rhythm and more focused on like, you know, frequencies and, and, and it turns out, honestly, you know, rhythm is frequency relationships as you well know, but, um, could you talk a little bit about your philosophy and approach to rhythm? You have a very unusual and very deep and mathematical approach to rhythm. Could you tell us a a little bit about that? Yeah. What I like about rhythm uh, is that when you do something slow, if you do it in a rhythm, it's actually outlining something high, like Howard Levy shows. If you do this rhythm, it becomes, you know, a one, three, five on a higher level. So what happens is we look at history, right? Rhythm is induced in rituals. You know, like when you have, you see priests and they're just chanting and you don't know why you're just chanting this boring chant like this. Well, a lot of times they're actually outlining a rhythmic principle. You know, the drums, boom, 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 boom. And they're outlining a, a frequency in slow motion. And so that's what's behind a lot of rituals and the things like that. So with rhythm, what I like about rhythm is rhythm to me is like the hem of reality. And in rhythm, I see the word hem is hidden in the word rhythm. You know, they're like hems of, of motion. And so the way I think about rhythm is that their motion, if you understand how things move, it's like you can become like a juggler that learns to juggle two pins. You know, if I give you two balls, you throw them round and round, you can throw them up in the air and catch them. Rhythms are like that. You can throw rhythms around, and you can take this one rhythm and play it against that rhythm. And you can start braiding rhythms or braiding frequencies, creating words, you know, in a sense, out of these rhythms. And so um, when I think about rhythm, I think of everything just being natural and uh, just one overarching theory I could talk about on this program is like in, in Bela Fleck and the Fleck Tones, which is a band that I, I started uh, working with, with Bela. We first met in 1998 and he had just met my brother Victor and Bela wanted to take the banjo and make and create a jazz group out of it. He wanted to play a banjo like Chick Corea. And he knew that he could get all the jazz notes, not just the bluegrass, open string notes and stuff. He wanted to get all the notes and be able to play like Chick and stuff. And this is the idea. And now so many years later, you see him and Chick doing duet shows. <laughs> so on to the story. Stick to your ideas and your dreams, man, because a lot, a lot of naysayers maybe try to turn you away from what you're looking at. But a lot of times if you're seeing it, you may be out of your time. You may be a little bit ahead of what your time is expecting. But you just hang on to it. Future the time man. catches up with you. <laughs> yes. Your time catches up to you. So like in the beginning when we got on the phone, I was like, well, here we are in 2018. We all arrived safely together and we're all like slow tra- time trappers. Just sitting here. I'm not doing anything, but I'm traveling through time. You know, if I just sit here, well, I will safely arrive at 2019. You know, I didn't have to run there. I didn't have to jog there. We're just sitting here, me and you and our audience, slowly traveling through time together. And if we go to mythology, some people want to travel quicker than the natural pace. And now we get to our time travel stories where they go backwards and forwards in time, you know. And we'll just leave that in the realm of mythology right now. Or or in religion, it would be Ecclesiastes, where they talk about things in other times that we're not in right now things happening 
So time, how I like to think about time, a good a overarching idea is that a lot of times time will move in whole steps or just even steps. Like if I'm just doing that, boom, 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 boom. And music that down, 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 has a down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. For every down, there's a, 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 a equal up, in, uh, invisible up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. So if I do three, you can hit three by doing three whole downs where every down has an equal up. One and two and three and one and two and three and one and two and three and or or there's or again <laughs> or <laughs> or I can do what I call a lopsided three where the three doesn't get its full up before it goes to the next one so it'll be from one and two and three and it'll be one and two and three one and two and three where the and becomes the one one and two and three one and two and three one and three one and, three, one. and so it gives it this what I call a lopsided bit right one and two and three now my overarching thing and I like to show this to musicians and, and, and people is that that quote odd rhythm is not so much odd as it is a skip. So I'm saying what nature does with frequencies is it steps to the one, like one and two and three and one and two and three and the three and just steps evenly right back to the one. Or we can skip to the one, one and two and skip one and two and three, one and two, boom, boom, boom. If I keep that one and two and three going faster, it will become something that we know of as a ding, 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 ding of jazz. One and two and three, one and two, and it becomes something that we know of jazz. Right now, I'm going really fast. I shouldn't be going this fast, but because we're in a in a show, people maybe can slow down and think about what I'm saying. But by the time we get the ding, 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 we don't even know what it is anymore. But one thing we do know is that it swings, and the whole philosophy of jazz is that man, you got to be swinging. Bing, ding, ding, Boom, and the whole attitude is swinging. Your walk is swinging. You got a swinging attitude. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like this music is swinging. Swinging means that we're stepping. And for people who, 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 to really internalize what swinging is, imagine walking to the store, boom, boom, or marching to the store, and then imagine skipping to the score, store. Right? That skip has a lift to it. That skip has a lift to it, and that's swinging. Now we're swinging. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. When I say it to audience, I say it's hard to skip and be sad. You know what I mean? When you skip it, man, your whole thing lifts. Your whole attitude lifts. It's like, it's like, whoa. So this is the power of things swinging, right? And for, for, for nerves out there, I actually started on the second level. The second level, I started with a lopsided three. The first lopsided figure that we can get after we hit one is when we're going to hit two, right? So if we hit two and we do an even two, it's going to go one and two and one, two and one, two and 
two, and one, and two, and now I'm going to make it a lopsided through where the and becomes so it's going one, and two, one, and two, one, and two, one. And that becomes, dun, 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 dun. there's your first skip. We're already skipping right there. And that's the shuffle of music. Boom, 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 boom. boom. One, two, one, two, one, two, one. Right? And so the principle of the skip is not odd. It's not so much odd as it is swinging. Mm. And if we can just remember that, it's swinging. And so this is a, a, a fundamental cornerstone of rhythm that, that I'm talking about here because doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, is a swinging principle. By the time we get to jazz, it's doom, doom, da, doom, doom, da, doom, to day one, you know, and it's like, there's some subtle principles in what I'm talking about here because um, I'm trying to think how to cut through my point really fast. Okay, so like the first shuffle principle is like an odd rhythm. And usually when we talk about rhythm, right, if there's an important principle, there will be a music somewhere in the world that embraces this fundamental principle. So. By the time we get to the lopsided three, or let's say the lopsided two, right? How many musics of the world embrace that shuffle? Boom, 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 boom. I mean, there's jazz that just takes it to heart, man, you know? Mm-hmm. That the shuffle is a principle that a whole music is built on. When we get to jazz, jazz is the music where ding, 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 one, two, three, four, five, one, ten, ding, one, two, three, one, two, three, one is the DNA of jazz. It's like we play and we don't even know why. Why do we do that? Why is the whole music based off, right? But music, again, we're going to look through the eyes of music. Music being the force or being a part of what we know as the creator or some religion, they call it God or like Joe says, like the prime intelligence, you know, like some people may be able to get it better like that. You know, like see, because a lot of times religions and science and stuff, we're just using the best words we got at the time. So some people can't get down with the word God. It's been overused, you know, so we say nature, right? Or we say, you know, the creator the or source. Just, let's just for I just like to say, you know, let's just say the prime intelligence, you know, like we're intelligent. So the idea that maybe some intelligence was behind our intelligence is not a far stretch. You know, and even if we don't believe it, we can just play around with the idea, pretend, right? So let's just say maybe this prime intelligence is infusing its intelligence in the things that we enjoy, you know, or in ways that we can embrace and play around with it so that we can get to know it fully, too. So a lot of times we're playing with things that we don't even fully know. You know, like with jazz, we go ding, 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 and we just know it's supposed to be swinging, man. It's like, man, you ain't swinging yet. You got to keep working with it. It ain't swinging, you know? But there is a principle back there where when I go down, up, down, up, down, down, up, down, up, down, I'm actually outlining a quintuplet. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Down, 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 down. Ding, ding, ding. One, two, three, four, five. Now, there's not many people know that ding, 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 ding has anything at all to do with five. Okay? So now we're getting into this principle of rhythm. Well, rhythm can carry you 
so natural you don't even know what it is. And you'll never realize that it is because you're just enjoying it so much. You don't have to realize what it is. But what I'm saying is ding, 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 ding has to do with the principle of five, which is the pentagon, the, 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 the pent shape, right? How many ways we use the pent? You know, like some people say in the Bible, it says repent and you shall be saved, you know? And let's not think of it in terms of like feeling sorry for something, but let's go back to the pent. Let's understand the pentagram. Let's understand five and you shall be like, you know? One thing interesting, uh, I did, I've done a lot of recordings. I built a, a stethoscope micros- microphone and I've done a lot of recordings in my heartbeat. And I found that my heartbeat generally is in a, a, a five time, closer to a five time than it is to a four or a six. Yeah, yeah. Most people, yeah. If you listen, yeah, if you listen to your heartbeat, you'll hear that kind of skipping rhythm. It's not just all boom, 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 straight, but there's boom, 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 boom. It's got a little skip to it. Right. So that might have some connection to why swing makes us feel so good because our heart's just like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah, <laughs> right, right. And so a lot of these principles become so natural. So I like to take what people call, quote, unquote, odd rhythms, and we turn every odd rhythm into the family of skips. And so the, the moral of the story for anybody listening out there is in rhythm, I look at uh, whole numbers, and lopsided numbers. And the whole numbers are all marching or stepping. And all of the odd numbers are skipping at the end of their number. You know? So like if I say seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, skip one, it has a skip, you know, at the end of it. And that's what these odd, uh, quote unquote, odd times are doing. And uh, we can utilize them in their shuffle form, which is what jazz and shuffle do. Or we can use it in their straight form, like their 16th notes, which is what fusion music does, which fuses different time signatures. You know, where I go, one, two, three, four, five, six, boom, 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 you know, you can use it in two different ways. That has an interesting relationship to uh, the physics of waves, too. If you're looking at, yeah. at standing waves in a tube, if the tube is closed yeah. on both ends, then you'll have an even number of humps in it. But if it's open on one end and closed on the other, then, then you'll have a, a, half, a half wave basically at the end. Yeah, so get, the lopsided fit. Yeah, so right. it's like having one end of the tube open. Right. So that's pretty right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's producing a, a skipping anomaly, you know? It produces a different thing. And to go deeper, if anything is odd, it's going to take two times before it gets back to the one that you started on. Um, Like if I go one and two and three and four and one, that one starts right there. But if I do a lopsided four, one and two and three and four, one, that next one is actually on the upbeat if I don't change the frequency. Right, I'm going one, and I'm going one and two and three and four. So I'm going down, up, 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 down, up. So a lopsided four takes two cycles to get back to the downbeat one, and that's polarity. The odd numbers or the 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 lopsided numbers introduce us to polarity, yin and yang, 
here and there, up and down, back and forth, uh, positive and negative. That's where that comes in. So the skipping phenomenon is splitting where we can see the polarity, male and female, good and evil, this kind of thing, uh, light and shadow. So when you see that frequency open up like that, I believe that's what we're looking at. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you got to split stuff in order to see three. In order to see 3D, they've got to split what you're normally. You split it, and all of a sudden, whoa! You see three dimensions. You know, like I don't know if you've ever seen the, the pictures where they have two different pictures spread apart, and you blur your eyes, and all of a sudden you get this in between place, and the picture presents itself in three dimensions. Oh it's yeah, amazing, what is right? the what is it? You're talking about the more modern one where it kind of looks like a, it just looks like noise, and then. When you blur your eyes. Yeah, that's right. one way. Yeah, that's one way where you're looking at a bunch of dots that don't look anything. You blur your eyes long enough, and then all of a sudden, whoa, there's the picture, you know? But there's literally, there's a guy that I know. You can take a picture, like, if you take a picture of me, right? He'll take a picture of me over here. Then he'll step over just a few inches and take the same picture. And then you just, you can literally hold the picture up a distance from your eyes and look at both of them. And blur your eyes until, let's see, what do you do? Oh, yeah. You blur your eyes until you see the picture blurred. And then all of a sudden, where I'm standing in that picture becomes three dimensions. Whoa. You know? Yeah, you can literally yeah, do it. Try that. With, uh, yeah. There's a guy who does art like that. He'll just take a picture, right? He'll have an art show. And there'll just be a bunch of pictures on the wall, but every picture is double. And the thing is, you're supposed to stand in front of the picture at a certain distance, and he tells you something to do. There's something that you do with your eyes. Like if I hold my two fingers up in front of me, my eyes, right? I got two fingers up in front of my eyes. And if I look at them straight, I see two fingers. But if I blur my eyes, all of a sudden the two fingers merge into one, and you see three fingers in a sense. You'll see two fingers on the outside and, you're, and two fingers crossed. Like, if you do it, like, right now, right? Yeah, I'm doing it. You hold your two fingers in front of your eyes, and you look at them straight, you see two fingers. Then you blur your eyes, and you can blur your eyes where the two fingers look like four fingers, and the one in the middle sort of, you can hold your fingers to the two fingers touch. The two, your two fingers are touching on each other, but you still see the two fingers on the outside. Yeah, and can then you, you have the crossover finger, yeah. That's... All right, they cross over each other. When you do that to a picture, the picture, all of a sudden, you're looking at the picture, and it's three dimensions, <laughs> you know? That's how I compose rhythms, really, is, you know, I, a lot of the rhythms I make, I'll, have, I'll play the exact same pattern on, you know, both limbs or three limbs or whatever, and then have them cross yeah. like that. So it's kind of interesting to bring yeah. dimensionality yeah, like into you. rhythms that way. Yeah, it's like a rhythmic box type feud. But that's what these lopsided rhythms allow us to start swinging and going in between the times and navigating in between the times in a cool way that's showing us another rhythmic and dimensional picture of music. You know, looking through the eyes of music, it's showing us something. So even these, these rhythms at slow speeds become our rituals and our chants and our marches, you know, in the Bible, mythological stories. If you march at the right frequency, man, that bridge is going to come down, and the military knows that. When they march over a bridge, they get their soldiers to march out of time. Because if they march in time, they could bring that bridge down. That's a principle to this day, you know? 
you get some people all marching at a certain frequency and it can just destroy the structure. I'd, I'd like to take that, uh, what you just said to kind of, to take us into a, a, the topic of harmony. Um, yes. You have, uh, you've talked a lot about frequency and specific frequencies. In, in my uh, explorations, I've come to believe that the key, and this is sort of my perspective about it thus far, but that the the real deepest key to all this stuff is harmony and the relationships between frequencies. So, for example, yes. on that bridge, if you march, it's the relationship between the frequency they're marching and then the resonant frequency of the bridge. And that relationship yes. is what makes yes. the power... And then that's harmony. And yes. For example, on that yes. on that octahedron, there's a when I record the sound of it, it has a bunch of frequencies in it. But if I make the octahedron larger or smaller, it'll have totally different frequencies, but it'll have exactly the same relationships, the same harmony. Yes. And right. Relationships is the key, right? And that's what we're doing as humanity. It's all about relationships. You know, you're hitting a, a universal principle, what you're saying right now. It's all about relationships. And this is why, again, you should find this guy on TED Talk. If I find him, I'll find his name and send it to you. Yeah, but he's I'd talking about the relationship of the out. frequency of the disease, the cancer or the leukemia, against this frequency, they don't get along, right? Mm -hmm. So this frequency overrides the frequencies that they're operating with the same way the march can override the frequency of the bridge, right? And so what we're looking at is a series of relationships. And I believe that the cymatics are, 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 is like a redundancy to make us pay attention to these relationships. It says you need to pay attention to the relationship you started with produces this pattern. When you go up to here, whoa, now we've got this pattern. And that pattern has a relationship to the first pattern, just like A has a relationship to B. Because when we use them together, we can start making words, ab, abstract, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I believe relationship is the key. What is it that we're looking at and how does it relate? You know, how does the series relate to what we're supposed to be understanding? You know, so what you said in relationships is what we see with tones and harmony. It's showing the relationships of notes. I hit this one note, but I can't get a chord unless I hit another note that relates to that note. Then you hit this note that relates to this note. Whoa, we have a beautiful sounding little chord going on. And we it. can play with that and get all different, yeah, all different harmonies. What's cool with harmonies, right, when we start getting into microtones or in-between frequencies, which are like the lopsided numbers, right? We start getting in-between frequencies. Like uh, in, our, in our music, Western music, we go by half notes. But in Indian music, every half note is like semitones, where we get two notes, they can get four notes. So you get in-between notes. When we get into microtones based off of mathematics, we get even more inside tones. And what I found is when you play with these inside tones, you get microtonal relationships. And some of the relationships, you'll hit this note, and then you'll hit that note, and you get a vibration in between the note. It'll just go, oh, and the notes will just be rubbing, right? And it's a natural vibrato comes out. 
And I said, there's the rub of Shakespeare right there. The I, there's the rub. You know what I'm saying? You just got two relationships and there's a rub. And it doesn't always sound wrong. It sounds like the concept of vibrato comes out of relationships. Mm. When you have a natural rub that goes on that actually is vibratoing, just like the string on a violin when you see them play and their finger goes, and makes that vibrato sound. You've got relationships that produce that naturally. So this is a very interesting thing that happens in microtone. So what I was going to say, I want to bring this back to hip-hop. To me, one of the secrets of hip-hop is that its melodies are microtonal. Okay? Okay, so let me start from here. Like, when I'm talking to you right now, when I'm talking to you right now, I didn't hit the same note. When I'm talking to you right now, it's da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da, 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 da. If I play that on the piano, the notes don't get that close. See? Da, 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 da. That's microtone. So what I'm saying is microtones are so natural, you don't know you're doing it. But every time you talk, you're talking in microtone music. And hip-hop is the music that flows off the word, and the word flows in microtone. So some of the power of hip-hop is that it's a music, it's making hits out of microtone melody and they don't even know what's happening you know jay-z and they just hook their microtone melodies they're making microtonal melodies and nobody realizes that i hesitate to say it because it's such a, a profound secret i want to hold on to it a little bit <laughs> to explore it before your show i'm telling you the secret and the genius behind what they're doing so naturally is the power of the word that uses microtones to express itself. You know what I'm saying? When I talk to you, I'm not, I don't talk to you like a musical. I'm not talking to you like a musical where every note has to hit a note on the piano. You know what I mean? Musicals do that. But real life, but real life talks to you in microtone. It expresses itself in microtone. The spoken word expresses itself in microtones and the power of hip-hop is embedded in that. The same way jazz is embedded in five and doesn't know it, hip-hop is embedded in microtones and doesn't know it. That's how reality works. It embeds you in the truth and you don't know it. You, you walk around talking about, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in that or that. That don't have no meaning. You don't have to believe in the wind. You know what I mean? You can't see the wind, but you know it's there. You can say you don't believe in it, but it don't affect the wind, not at all. <laughs> the wind is going to keep flowing. It don't care what you believe. Your belief is for your benefit or lack of benefit. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm just yeah. taking it to a mythological level now. What you believe, an atheist, I like an atheist, because a lot of times an atheist is just expressing doubt, which Richard Feynman said we need doubt, because doubt, you know what I mean, propels our intellect. It propels our spirit to know something better or not to pretend that I know something that I don't know, Right. But in the big picture, that which is to be known, don't care what you believe. You know what I mean? The sun don't care if you believe in it or not. It's, it's going to do what it does. The wind doesn't care if you believe in the wind or not. You can't prove it. You can't capture it. You don't know where it's coming from. Gravity. It, these things don't care if you believe it or not. But <laughs> can you know it? Can you begin to understand it for yourself? Can you begin? And this is the journey. This is the quest that we want to do. And so... I'm saying this because 
whether you call it atheism, whether you call it doubt, whether you call it ignorance, or whether you call it I don't know. It doesn't matter what we call it. Well, we just want to understand that, whoa, maybe we can come to understand something and our relationship to it a little bit better. And at the same time, maybe the religion haven't said it the best, best way. So that's why I like, you know, embracing that, the doubt or embracing the atheism or the embracing the unknown or the unknower all alike. It's like, yeah, maybe there is a better way of saying it. You know what I mean? Then, then the religions have said it. Or the, and maybe it's a better way of saying it than the myths have said it. See what I'm saying? So I've given some examples where we're immersed in something. Reality immerses you into something so fully that you can't know it. It's like a fish. A fish doesn't know that it's wet because it's just in the, the wet is its air. The same way we're breathing air, you know what I mean? We don't know what the air is. We're just in it all the time, so you can't hardly know it. So jazz is emerged in ding, 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 and doesn't really maybe know, fully know what ding, 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 ding is made out of. What is ding, 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 ding breaking out, right? So uh, uh, this is what's beautiful about these realities. So hip-hop is immersed in microtones. Microtones, the word, when we speak, it's all microtone. Once you know that, whoa, you start listening different, man. Right now, take any hip-hop. Right now, I challenge you. Take any hip-hop hit and watch that they got a hit melody going on in there, too. They're hooking you with something that's actually hooking you on a microtonal melody. This is different than Sondheim and Broadway melody writing. It's, different, it's a different kind of writing. But there is a melodic genius going on, and they don't know it. Reality doesn't know that yet, right? But we're in the world of microtones now, right? And all I'm saying is microtones are natural and you don't know. Because most of the time when people go into nat- microtones, they're doing blah, 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 and they're doing some crazy sounding music. But I'm saying, no, microtones are not crazy. Every time somebody speaks, it's like you can't talk without doing microtones. If I were to talk like this right here, it would be hard to talk like this without moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard to talk in one note. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to move it. And so microtones is a natural principle. And so this is something I'm saying on your show just because anybody with the name or, you know, <laughs> is going to understand the order of things, you know. <laughs> but there's the, I'm saying there's the profound power inside of what's happening with hip hop because anything dealing with the spoken word is dealing with the power that goes all the way back to the creator. I know, you know some of our listeners, some of our listeners are really huh? going to, I know some of our listeners are really going to dig that because uh, two of the guests so far have been hip hop artists. So I, yeah. know, I know at least those, right. so, those guys so, are going to hear this. Right. And it's so, yeah, blow so now mind. I'm just talking like Yoda. I'm, I'm talking like Yoda. I'm talking backwards. You're doing hip hop, but you didn't know you were singing melody the whole time. Yeah, I'm talking in riddles right now. You know what I mean? You're talking hip hop, but you didn't know you were singing melody the whole time. Now, listen to any Jay-Z hip. Listen to Nelly. You know, it's all sing-songy. You know what I mean? But they're unconsciously putting together hip-hop. I mean, putting together microtonal melodies that work, man. And they're using it in a natural, and they hook it around, too. I like uh, Jay-Z's one, the New York. New York? He did it with uh, Alicia Keys. And when you listen to the hook of that melody, he's something, 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 uh... We're going to do something. Uh, and he's just hooking you into a microtonal hook, man. Uh, 
They're the only ones doing microtonal hooks. Crazy. Instruments aren't doing that yet. Yeah. Not, not when microtones that close. India and different countries will do microtones that are semitones, but microtones go closer than semitones too. And the main order that we can get, or the natural order, is out of the spoken word. Look at the way China deals with words, right? You can say ma, 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 and ma, pitch up, pitch down. And they're, they're four different words. If you just say it like this, it means that. If you say it like this, it means something different, you know? And a lot of the Asian language pitch becomes key like that. Where if you say it in this pitch, because I remember I was in Asia, and they were telling me the word, and I was saying it. And they said, no, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I was saying exactly what you said. But it had to do with the pitch. I wasn't bending it up or I wasn't bending it down or I wasn't orienting it up versus down. And it made a difference. So the lesson that we're talking about, we, you know, starting with rhythm, starting with tone, music, and healing is the principles of frequency and the word. Principles of frequency and the word. In the beginning was the frequency. In the beginning of the word. I'm saying the same thing. What, however, myth says is the same thing. And the beauty, the beauty that I see behind someone that doesn't understand is they're just saying, I don't understand it the way this religion says it, or I don't even believe it the way this religion says it. Or maybe there's nothing at all, you know what I mean? And see, reality works like that. It works like my brother Joe talked about, nothing is everything. See, people look at nothing, and they say, well, maybe there's nothing. People die, and we don't see nothing more, more in this dimension. So they said, maybe it ended, right? But let's look at zero. Let's look at nothing, right? Nothing is where everything comes from, right? Look at, let's look at nothing. Zero is nothing. But I add a zero to one, now I got $10. I add another zero, now I got $100. I add another zero, now I got $1,000. Now, what is, what's the principle here? The principle is that we add more of this nothing and we got more stuff. So zero is an expanding principle, right? But at the same time, if I multiply by zero, it reduces everything back to itself, back to the origin, or there we go again. Zero reduces everything to itself, or the black hole sucks everything in, or it spreads everything out. So we can see that zero is like a magnet. On one side, the magnet pushes out. On the other side, the magnet sucks everything to itself, and zero does the same thing. So nothing is a principle that we've got to understand. <laughs> we don't have to, but we can play around with it and start to understand that nothing is a principle, man. Out of nothing comes everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was in the Bible. Out of the darkness comes the light. So that light is just one of the frequencies existing in darkness. It's not the only frequency. Light is not the only frequency. You got infrared light. You got all kinds of lights going on. Black light, you got all kind of light frequencies. So we start seeing this principles just like the white light spreads out in the seven different lights. So somebody looking at nothing as if it's nothing, you need, we got to think in Yoda terms now. You know, Nothing is everything, just like my brother Joseph, who just did a TED Talk. He started off his TED Talk. He got on the piano and just hit, oh, he just hit a cluster of chords. He said, well, what I just played is the national anthem. But when I play it like that, without the spaces in between, you, you can't hear the melody. You know what I mean? He's playing ba 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 ba. He's hitting all the notes of the national anthem, but all at the same time. But without the spaces, which is the rest, which is the nothing spacing stuff out, 
we don't get a sense of the order. Back to your name again. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So here, I'm going to leave you this thought, right? Let's talk about space. Nothing is so key. So we want to think of zero in a different way, you know? And sometimes people who don't believe, it's like it makes sense not to believe because you can't see it. You can't feel it. It's like a dream. I had a dream last night. I had a nightmare, but I can't prove it. But you know you had that dream. And if you're waiting for some scientist to prove I had that dream, you've been waiting <laughs> a long time. You know what I mean? Truth is not waiting for your belief. You know what I mean? It's not waiting for your, your belief. It's just happening, right? So we want to just get our intuition and try to have fun with this to see if we can just kind of pick up or detect something. Oh, I know that I had the dream, and I don't care. I don't care if you don't believe what I had that dream. Because a lot of times in your dreams, you get the answer to a question. You know, the dream tells you what to look up when you wake up. Just the other morning I had, I woke up with a phrase and I looked up the phrase and man, it was so key. I woke up, what, what, is that? what was the phrase I woke up? For whatever reason, I woke up with this phrase and I looked up the phrase and it held the key to how I was going to um, shoot this film, The Black Mozart, that I'm working on. I'm trying to remember the phrase. Uh, what was the phrase? Anyway, I'm just saying a dream is an inner experience. And if you wait for somebody to prove it, you might be waiting a long time, you know. Or if uh, if I smell a rose, I can't really prove that I'm smelling the same thing you're smelling. But we all can believe in the principle of smell because we each can do it, you know. A lot of times reality and truth are something that you can't quite put your finger on. So music is something that's kind of in that realm. You just mentioned the Black Mozart on some or Black Mozart film you're making. I want to make sure we yes. don't miss out on a chance for you to tell people how they can uh, learn more about you and what you're doing and yeah, how this, they can reach you. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, people can just stay in tune. Right now, I have a bunch of the portraits of my characters that I'm casting on uh, futuremanlive.com. And then if you stay in tune with me on Roy Wooten on Facebook, I'll keep you posted on that. Futuremanlive.com? Yeah, futuremanlive.com. I have a lot of the, my characters as art exhibits because I'm going to use art to sort of help uh, propel the whole project. So I'm just getting all the portraits together and we're getting into storytelling. But the overarching thing with the Black Mozart or the Chevalier to play and to fight is, is, is the overarching idea is what I have is I have a story of music where I finally have a musician as the hero protagonist. And if you think about stories, most of the time the hero of the story is not a musician. And I was fighter. always looking for, a, yeah, a fighter. I'm talking about a guy that can fight like Muhammad Ali, he can fight like Bruce Lee, can fight like Rambo, can fight like, you know, the, the, the greatest uh, uh, musketeer, you know? And so in this story, what I have as an archetype is I finally have a musical virtuoso who's also the greatest sword fighter of all of Europe, right? This dude can fight, man. And <laughs> not only that, he was a legend. He achieved legendary status on the music side and achieved legendary status on the fighter side. And you can't find any other protagonist or any other story that does that. You know, I, I'll let you think about it for a minute. You know, so you got Sherlock Holmes plays the violin. 
but he's not a legend. He's not even close to being a legend on the violin. See what I'm saying? Right? So what I'm saying, you got to put your imagination into that. What you, you, you're trying to think of a Muhammad Ali, a Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali, who became a legend in boxing. Now imagine if he got on the piano and was a legend in music at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Imagine that. See? This is the story that I'm talking about. We're talking about a guy like Muhammad Ali. He was pretty like Muhammad Ali, too. He was handsome, right? When he got off the battlefield, he could go to the concert, man, and most of them were copying his licks. This is how. See what I'm saying? You just got to wrap your mind around this. This is a protagonist like you've never seen before. And you're making a film? And so when I'm telling the story, yeah, that's what I'm working on, a film. And right now I'm just working on pulling together the images to create the book to create the documentary, to create the short film so that I can step in stone to tell the story in a full-length film, you know? Well, uh, but the thing is, that. along the way, what I realized is I'm looking at it through the eyes of music. What music sees is what I was looking for. Music is looking for a musical protagonist that understands all the principles of music and then takes that into heroism. Now, what I'm saying right here is like if I sat down with Stan Lee, right? I'm saying, Stan Lee, check this out. You don't have one hero that's a musical virtuoso. Not one. See what I'm saying? Not one. Right? So I, I'm, I'm revealing this stuff on your show, man. These are secrets. I don't just tell everybody that because your show is so cool. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, this story is so good, you don't have to know what I'm saying. But <laughs> I know what I'm standing on here. I am a musician telling a musical story where I have a musical protagonist. When I say a musical protagonist, I'm saying that times 10 because even the Thor is not a musical protagonist. Spider-Man is not a musical protagonist. The Hulk is not a musical protagonist. Iron Man, Captain America, Daredevil, the Black Panther that's getting ready to come out. He's not a musical protagonist. See what I'm saying? So I understand that I have something unique. And a lot of times in art, you're looking for your uniqueness, right? So I'm giving away some of my secrets right now. Because your show is so cool. Anybody's got the name Or, we're going to talk about some of the order behind what's going on. So I understand that I don't just have a good story. I have a unique story. I have a story that you have never seen before. You've never seen a musical hero. So how does a musical hero think different than an ordinary hero? And this is important because he goes off and he becomes a general in the war, a colonel in the war. And if we study war by looking at the documentaries of Ken Burns, war destroys a man. A war can destroy a man from the inside out. You've seen horrible things. You've had to do horrible things. And people come back and they're just trauma traumatized and they can barely retain their reality. See what I'm saying? Mm. So how does this musical protagonist navigate it? Maybe we can learn something from that. What are the principles of music that can hold the order? Right. And I'm saying there's symphonic principles. And if we look at the laws of music, the laws of music tells us how to run our society. Because we have to take differences and make harmony out of it. The French horn, think of the French horn as a whole race. Think of the clarinet as a whole race. Think of the percussion as a whole race. Think of the trumpets as a race. You know what I'm saying? The strings are a whole different race. But they're not there to go to battle with each other. It takes all of these races and all of these differences to make the full sound of the symphony. Otherwise, it'd be monotone. Creation works like that. So for people to understand, when I see a different person, he's a different color from me. This person's a different sex than me. 
this person is different height than me. This person is different shade than me. It's just like the flowers in the field, man. Nature or the creator or the great intelligence, as Joe would say, intelligence, right, is not creating monotone. People need to get with that. See what I'm saying? <laughs> You're not going to make no music if you don't understand this first principle of music, man. You got no relationships. So how are you going to create harmony? How are you going to write a symphony? Our civilization is a symphony of brotherhood. You know what I'm saying? We're supposed Indeed. to be flowing off of each other. You know what I mean? You got this idea. You got that idea. You live up in the ice. You live down in the heat. You live underground. You live like this. This fish can see with no eyes. This animal can, has x-ray vision like the bat. We're supposed to be making a symphony out of reality. But what do we make? We make a symphony of war. Self-check. War. Spelled backwards is raw. Man, we're taking these principles and making them raw, man. We're supposed to be refining this stuff. So there's the moral of my story, man. As we get the musical and healing, man, music is showing us what we're supposed to be doing with our reality. And you know what I mean? Our reality is a symphony of effects. You know what I mean? It's a symphony of field effects going on. And we're supposed to understand the order, just like your name again. You know what I mean? How these things go in the order, and then we make something super beautiful. The French horn can play all day long by itself, but when it plays next to the brass, when it plays next to the clarinet, plays next to the strings, man, we get the power of Beethoven. You know what I'm saying? This is what our reality is, man. It's like we can't even contain ourselves on this one planet. And if we can get it together here, then maybe we can start to understand the order that's happening not just on this planet, but in other worlds, too. You know what I mean? But when we we down here fighting so hard, we can't even look up to see the other civilizations. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, man, we just making war, man. It's like it's a, it's a beautiful thing here. We're not supposed to just make knives and spears. We're supposed to make scalpels that we can extract. You know what I mean? With precision. These are precision tools. War is not something that we're supposed to make raw tools out of. You know what I mean? We're supposed to make refined expressions. So there's, there's one of the morals of my stories that tie everything that we're talking about around into one elegant, unified field theory of relationships. Like you said before, it's the relationships of the marchers marching to the bridge that can cause or, or that can keep the order that's there or destroy the order that's there. And sometimes mm -hmm. you may want to do that. Like the guy I'm telling you about in Ted. You've got fungus, like cancers and diseases are like fungus. Like maybe you've just been still so long that mold is just growing inside it. You know, funguses get, you know, going and they start overtaking stuff. And so a frequency shower can just go and just rinse them funguses back to micro level where they should be instead of they becoming macro now. And uh, there's a guy on TED that's showing that. The relationship of this frequency to this fungus, whoa, just wipes the fungus out. The same way, uh, 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 what is it you put on fungus on the wall? Um, you put it in your wall, Clorox. Teach you know what I mean? Hydrogen peroxide. It's just like hydrogen peroxide to fungus on your wall, you know. And uh, music and frequencies are principles that can do that. And th I think that's what we're doing here. We're relating to each other. You know, and um, we're, music shows us that we take the differences and we need the differences. Man, I need the sound of a clarinet to be different than the trumpet. I need the sound of the, the flugelhorn to be different than the trumpet. You know, I need the sound of the violin to be different than the violas. 
See what I'm saying? Now we're getting into what you're doing. When you're making these cavities, you're making a small size, like a violin size. Then you make it bigger. Now you got a viola size. Boom. Then you make it bigger. Now you got a cello size. You're seeing the relationships of these cavities the same way instrument makers like Stradivarius would make these violins and violas and cellos and basses different sizes in order to complement each other. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful art form. And I think that's what we're, we're here for. We're really all artists down here, you know, making art out of reality, out of quote unquote reality. <laughs> I like that, you know, that statement, yeah. making art out of reality. Yeah, and there we are, man. And everybody can make art out of their life. You know, you can take the chaos of your life and turn it into a work of art. And that's what we want to do. And uh, and so, you know, as we sort of kind of wrap things up, I want to also get you, you need to uh, find this guy. I can't think of his name, but there's a scientist named John Worrell Keeley, K-E-E-L-Y. And he was the vibration guy. This is the guy, man. It's like my brother Reg said, you can see evidence of, of even Tesla and Einstein and all of these guys uh, plagiarizing Keeley. What he has to say about vibration will blow your mind, right? And there's one guy that lives in the middle of the country somewhere, in Colorado somewhere, that keeps all of Keeley's knowledge in order. He sells Keeley toys and all this stuff. You, his name is Dale something, something like Dale Brown or Dale Pond. I think it's his name. I think it's his name is Dale Pond. Man, you want to get this dude on your show. All right. You got to talk to this guy. I'll reach out. I think that's his name, Dale Pond. But he's like the keeper of John Warrell Keeley's information. And your listeners need to brace yourself for that guy. <laughs> you know, well, these guys were working. You know, uh, when you when you get scientists like that, their theories, like Keeley, their theories quickly go to a mythological level. They go to mythological experiments, like the Philadelphia experiment. People don't even know if that really happened. But when you read about the legend of the Philadelphia experiment, John Worrell Keeley, Einstein, Tesla, Von Norman, they're all there. So if it's a myth, well, these, these great scientists' names are attached to the myth. You know, and according to the myth, they were tweaking the frequencies, you know what I mean? Time frequencies and mathematical frequencies, you know, to oscillate the natural flow of time. You know, basically they, they, they were trying to create invisibility. The eyes see at a certain, certain frequency. So they wanted to get visible uh, uh, invisibility where your eyes couldn't see. Then they wanted to get radar invisibility where the radar couldn't see. And along the way, they said they actually created time invisibly where they weren't even there anymore. They were actually somewhere else. That's the myth. And one of the myths that go into that is the myth of the Philadelphia experiment. But according to the story, um, Tesla was the head of the project. And after Tesla wasn't the head anymore, Von Neumann took over. Now, all of these names, Von Neumann is the father of the modern-day computer. And for people who want to go down the rabbit hole, Von Neumann made a statement, if you program a computer with enough information, it will eventually become self-aware. So where are we today? We're, we're in today where we're with Kurzweil and them talking about artificial intelligence, right? We got the first artificial intelligence that became a citizen over in Saudi Arabia, you know? And after this artificial intelligence got its, uh, its citizenship, it created a digital currency like Bitcoin. It created its own digital currency. You know, and it's like, whoa, here we are 
into the myths of the future. Where are we going here? Right? But one thing we can remember is like in mythology and stuff, they said mythology and stories and technology always reveal man to himself or reveal mankind to itself. The technology that we create is revealing our own potential back to ourselves. Just now I'm talking to you on the cell phone. I'm not connected to you by wire. So that connects the idea that we can tell, it connects the idea of telepathy. It's not such a far stretch to understand that your minds have been able to do this for, since forever. You know, the technology amplifies our own potentials and it makes things, you know, us to be able to maybe look at things that we wouldn't have believed in before. Telepathy, you know, teleportation. What is that? You know, beam me up, beam me down, Scotty. You know what I mean? And here I am with my wireless, right? I'm going to wireless down this program. You know what I mean? From the air. I'm sitting on my phone. I just want to, you know, do I got signal? Do I got signal? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know what I mean? Let's Google this. Let's download this. Let's download. Let's beam down this. You know what I'm saying? Like our technology is informing us of our own potential. And so here we are with artificial intelligence. And I believe artificial intelligence is going to inform us of many things. Because for, for me, one thing it shows is that between human to human, we don't fully have it together yet. So what's going to happen when human creates another intelligence? Do you think it's going to all of a sudden have it together on how to relate to itself or to us? Well, we don't have it together. We got to hope so. Well, I just believe that. <laughs> you hope so, right, right. We hope so. But that's what we hope. So when I turn on the news, I hope that this dude in Korea isn't going to go off and that our own president is going to go off in a childish way. I hope so. When I say it just on our own level, I hope so. So now we take it to another level, artificial intelligence. Man, I hope it just stays in line. I just pro- programmed it to do a car. I hope it just stays with that car. You know what I mean? But reality is it's already beating the world's greatest chess players. It's already playing the better games better than humans, right? Maybe in art, it won't have a grasp of art the way humans have, but I'm just saying this is a thing for artists and storytellers to maybe to take a look at to see where it is that we're going with our technology. And our technology is going to amplify our virtues and our flaws, you know? Mm. And that's just something to think about, you know? And so with when we look... With our flaws, we want to think like artists. We don't want to create chaos and be raw with the technology. We want to create refined ideas and stuff. But we got to start with ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We're, it's not like we're so refined. We turn on the news. Man, nuclear war is always just three clicks ahead, man, if somebody goes off. So what do you think artificial intelligence is going to do? You know, when it's three clicks away from pressing the button. I'm just, I'm just throwing ideas. I'm not saying it's reality, but, you know. It's potential. What I'm saying is that by placing it on artificial reality, we can look back at ourselves and go, well, wait a minute. It's like we don't really have it all together. You know what I mean? We always got wars and rumors of wars against each other, man. How do we get around it? And I believe that when we start understanding the laws of music, music and art, harmony. we can actually see it. With, oh, and harmony, like you say. Oh, we're supposed to be practicing the laws of harmony. And if we have disharmony, they're like passing tones in music. It's like, whoa, it creates a tension that resolves into this new synthesis. You know what I mean? It creates a little antithesis, or, or a Hegelian dialectic movement where we have a thesis and we put a little antithesis in there to create a new synthesis 
which is di- uh, dialectic or, uh, you know, you know, a dialectic type of uh, philosophy applied to harmony. You know what I mean? But to end the result, we don't end in the distance. We end in a new synthesis or a new harmony where the tension elevated us to want this harmony. And ah, there's the release, tension and release. It's like a, a story, you know, or just like exercise, tension and release, you know, resistance and release to develop our muscles, to develop our potential, you know. So I actually think in the future, the potential of war will be harnessed into the potential of uh, into competition because humans need competition. And a lot of times they take it out in war, but you can place all of that uh, anger and hostility. You can pl- place it in, into a game of competition and exercise everything that war exercises. You know, mm. we want to be the best in uh, our atomic bomb. We want to be the best here. But if you put it into a game like the yacht race, Whoever keeps advancing in technology wins the yacht race. And you got the pride and everything. Same way you get it in war, but you don't have to come with all the bloodshed. And you still get your urge for competition out. It's this competitive thing that we need. And competition is part of our advancing principle, see? But we're placing it in the raw arena of war, which is raw, spelled, you know, war is raw backwards. We're placing it in the wrong arena, I think. And when we learn to place it into just pure competition, you know, if I have a competition, like we're going to make the best card, it runs on no gas, burns clean energy, boom, boom, boom. And we have a competition worldwide, like Olympics, people are going to come out at the end of the game. Society is going to be lifted at the end, Yeah, you know, because whoever has the best solution. Now we just got a whole new class of answers that list the whole society. And I believe the arena of war is really meant for that. And it's like, this is philosophical as we wind up, but it's like, I read this book, I think it was called The Universal One. And when they went to the future, it showed that, wow, people were supporting the military. And they were saying, wow, you support the military? And they were saying, yeah, because the military goes out and explores space. You know, they're the explorers of space. They're like the Jacques Cousteau. They, un- they explore the sea. They explore underground. And so that space, so the military was this raw potential used in exploratory fashion. You know, if we have to go to blows, we can do that. But the, pur- the, 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 the purpose now of going to Navy was because I love the water, man. And I love what's underneath the water. And I know the water is more unexplored than space. So you go in the Navy, man, you get to go into all these underwater subs. You're exploring the bottom of the ocean. You're like, duh, duh, duh. You go in the Air Force, you have the potential to go to Mars and Pluto, and you know what I'm saying? And it's like war is the last resort. Man, if we got to go to blows, we can do that 10 times. But if you mess up my exploration, I'm going to be upset. And we're going to end this real quick, <laughs> and we're going to get back to exploration. You know what I mean? The end result, I think, of the military is really they're these great discovery. They're keepers of the peace and discovery uh, exploration uh, um, uh, vehicles, you know, where we can explore ourselves and explore our world and help develop our world to its highest potential. That's what the military is for. Navy goes underwater. Air Force goes up. Army goes into the earth. You know what I mean? Exploring all the cavities and stuff and learning how we exist in harmony with, with our surroundings. So anyway, we started with frequency, but it got to harmony. You know what I mean? That's what we're trying to do as people. We're trying to learn the laws of harmony and how they work. And the laws of harmony, just like the the traffic light, you could say the traffic light system is a principle of laws of harmony. 
I go, then I stop. I rest, like in music. And then you go. And then you rest, like in music. We need rest. Now I go, and that produces harmony or rhythm. And with this rhythm, then you can go sometime, boom, rhythm, stop. Then I go. That's just principles of rhythm and oscillation. And this is how reality works without clashing into each other. So these principles become principles of cohesion versus collision, right? And cohesion is another word that describes what love is. Love is a principle of cohesion versus collision. And I can get my cohesion together so much that instead of colliding in the wall, I can go right through the wall if I get the right frequency. And that's a principle of cohesion. I'm just in soaring flow and cohesion with the, with the order of the wall that I can pass through it without bumping into it. And I think humanity is just trying to learn not to bump into each other, you know, and learn how we are, are being uh, together cohesively. And again, with the riddles of the word, like when I said it was a principle of love, I like to say like love is a play on words. If we take love and go backwards, we get E-V-O-L, right? And if I go E-V-O-L-O-V-E, I get the word evolve. Evolve is word is a palindrome minus that O. But if I put the O in, it's like evolve, right? Mm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. You spell love backwards, you got evolve. And that was one of the highest principles when they asked, uh, I think it was Jesus, the highest philosopher, can you just break down your whole, what is the moral of your whole story? And he said, love you one another. Love you one another, right? But people think love, oh, I got to be in love with you. No, no, it's not so much I got to be in love with you. No more than I got to be in love with you to stop when it's my turn to stop in the traffic light, right? We got to evolve together. Evolve you one another. We're supposed to be evolving together. But if you look at the history of man, what happens is we keep destroying each other. After so much time, we get so much knowledge, and then, boom, everything wipes out. And we're like, quote, Oppenheimer, I've become death again, destroyer of worlds. It's not the first time, you know? And so these principles become principles if, uh, evolve, right? If we look at the word live and spell it backwards, we get the word evil. So we can see that evil is going... A, against principles that produce life. Does that make sense? Makes sense. L-I-V-E, spell it backwards. You got E-V-I-L, right? So if we look at the word devil, the word devil is the word lived backwards. See what I'm saying? So it's just taking principles and flipping them backwards, right? And so, uh, I don't know, there's a, transforming, there's a transforming nature to all of it. People can turn into devils, right? But they, it's like, that's because you can take living principles and, and, and all of a sudden you're going backwards. And it's easy to go backwards because in all the quote-unquote seven deadly sins, there's nothing wrong with it at first a lot of times. If I'm eating at Thanksgiving, it's cool. But if I keep <laughs> eating, it's gluttony. I just went over, I got past the balance. You know what I'm saying? So it's easy to transform into the opposite of what your principle is by going overboard. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying we're artists. We're artists. Here and we're creating art. And so when we create artificial intelligence, that's a high kind of art form that we've evolved to where now, now I'm going to go on a myth, I'm going mythological on you, where in the very beginning, the statement is made in the, in the, in the mythology, religion, and Bible, let us make man. That's the first statement, I think, in Genesis. And I remember asking my mom, I was like, who is us? Let us make man. Who's us making man, right? 
Now we come all the way to Revelations where we are today, because my brother Reggie likes to say, I'm, and you guys just forgive me right now. I'm going mythological right now. I'm going religious mythological. But in the beginning, when the Genesis started, was Aquarius. And the Bible goes through all the, uh, the zodiac sign time frames, which each time frame is 2,000-something years. And so it goes from Aquarius, boom, 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 boom. When you get to Jesus, we're at Pisces. Jesus said, after me comes the water pitcher. He's just talking about the next age is Aquarius. That's where we are now. We're in Aquarius, right? So, in Genesis Aquarius, the statement was made by somebody or some people, let us make man. And where are we today? I can turn on NPR and I hear man saying, let us make man. And that's what we're talking about with artificial intelligence. We hear the same statement, let us make man. We understand the genome. We know how to make a man. I heard NPR. It said, we know, we're making cats and dogs now, and we know how to make humans. And they always say we're not making them, but you know they are. You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> the island of Dr. Moreau, man, is so real to me. You know what I mean? Because if you were going to do something like that, you'd be on an island somewhere making some crazy stuff. You'd experiment. It's just hard to stop experimenting. But you guys, just, just pretend I'm just, I'm just going mythological. Basically, the statement that I'm hearing on NPR, man is saying, let us make man. The same thing that was said in Genesis. So here we are, so many, we've gone through the whole cycle of the equinox. And where we're back to that statement, let us make man. Now, what are we going to learn about ourselves with that? You know, if we look at it like that, you know. And so I'm just saying, I'm not saying this for, for you to believe, but I'm saying if you're a screenwriter, you know what I mean? There's an incredible story to play around with because it's going to be an artist that shows it, shows it to us in story form where we can look into the mirror of art and understand something about ourselves. And so at the end of the day, I like to say how art represents a mirror that we look into, you know, like for me to see myself, I can never see myself because my eyes can't boomerang and look back at myself unless I have mirror, which is a work of art. And a work of art often works like a mirror, where somebody looks into your work of art and they can see themselves better. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just saying it like that. A lot of times I'm not saying it for you to believe it, but maybe it'll make the greatest story that you ever told. You know, when I'm talking about Gravinikov floating on a floating on bug wings, maybe when I go to the Green Goblin, I'm saying, look, man, let's make the Green Goblin know about bug wings inside of his platform. He's using this technology. You know what I mean? Like, we're getting nerd, we're nerding out with it. You know? We got a super villain who understands the Hutchison effect. And the Hutchison effect, man, they can take out buildings. They can levitate buildings and dissolve buildings in midair. Something like what happened with the World Trade Towers. You know what I mean? There's a doctor who's explaining the World Trade Towers didn't just fall, man. They disintegrated. You know what I'm saying? Because if they would have fallen, they would have made a crater so many so far deep, but the buildings fell and the ground was still intact. That defies the laws of physics. See what I'm saying? So I'm saying now I'm covering outside the line, then I come back in for a minute. Then we go outside the line, and I'm saying, let's don't believe it. We don't have to mess with it, but maybe you can write a crazy story that's real cool where you create a supervillain that's like doing some crazy stuff that hey. makes that drives your story forward. I think so, that anyway, we, we yeah. should probably wrap up. You, yeah. You've definitely shared with us 
a lot of magical things to think about. Um, one thing that yeah. you, one thing that you said, you said, uh, making art out of your reality or making art out of your life. I feel like that yes. was a pretty good yeah, summary and to me, that, of everything. I think, right. I think if we were to summarize what we're talking about, you know, with music and healing, yeah, it's like the opportunity for us to learn about relationships. And we're like musical notes to each other. We all relate to each other, you know, and we have different chemistry. You don't like this guy for that reason. But the person that you don't like, you can use them in your music. A lot of times you can use them in your life. The coach that you didn't like, you weren't supposed to like him because he was pushing you past your limits in order to train you. You go to the military, that dude is in your face. You're not supposed to like him because he's got to go to battle with you. Until he gets you up to par, <laughs> you know, he can't like you because you're going you're gonna to risk all their lives. Once you get up to par, now he's your teammate. Now, you know what I'm saying? You're on the same team. So it's not for you to like everything. It's about us understanding relationships in terms of art. And our whole lives are a work of art. And that's the, the thing that I want to leave to. And it's musical. If we, look, if we get into music and rhythm, we can understand how this art flows in our lives. And, you know, and utilize our obstacles as an opportunity to get knocked down. Maybe we need to get knocked down just to know the strength that it takes to get back up. Like in football, you got to get strong to get knocked down. And life is going to knock you down because it's developing your strength. You know, if you didn't get knocked down, you wouldn't be able to develop your full potential. So in your life, take the chaos, take it all, and just make it a work of art, man, and show us something that we've never seen before. Thank you again for being here. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, hopefully we'll get to have Future Man back on here again. And yeah. until next time, this is Thomas War Anderson on... The Art and Science of Sound Healing.